We are back in Mark chapter 1 this morning, and as you are turning there, there's a few things that uh, struck me this week, independently from my sermon study, but it finds its way into a kind of an opening illustration here today. You know, there are many things within our lives that, that call for our attention, many things that demand us that, that are seeking our attention, seeking our eyeballs. So we think of just different things that demand attention within our home. We might think of different repairs that need to be made. Right now, I have an open wall where I've teared the sheetrock down because of termite damage, seeking to repair those things. There's the daily chores of things to do, dishes to do, floors to sweep, etc. There's in my home, there's kids to parent, there's all these kinds of things that just demand attention within the home. There are things online that demand and call for our attention. I've discovered within my own life that those, those reels on Facebook, that's just those short little videos, those are, those are a bit of a trap. <laughs> they can just keep you scrolling and you get stuck on them and uh, I can watch video after video before I know it. An hour or more has gone by and I've just been scrolling on this uh, for so long. There's things in our culture that seek our attention. Today, of course, is the the Super Bowl, right? An estimated 110 million people will watch the Super Bowl today. That's an insane amount of eyeballs. And there's a reason why a 30-second advertisement for the Super Bowl this year costs $7 million dollars. For 30 seconds, seven million dollars. But where else? Where else are you going to get that level of focus and attention? Like there, it's, it's guaranteed viewership right there. So there's things in the culture. There's things in our jobs, politics, neighborhoods. All these things that demand our attention. So when it comes to our personal priorities about how we decide which things we will give our attention to, what we will focus on. How do we make those decisions? This week, this week, I was listening to a podcast that was discussing a particular discipline, and the host was arguing that every man in America ought to be giving himself to this discipline, what he was arguing for in that podcast. And that, I got to thinking about that claim and how I've heard that claim from a variety of different sectors about a di- lots of different disciplines. And so I started adding up in my mind all the things that supposedly every man in America ought to be giving himself to. And as I'm thinking through, through, there's every man should be physically fit, should practice a martial art, should practice his shooting skills, should study theology, should be an expert in nutrition, should raise farm animals, should grow his own food, should have two side gigs, should spend individual time with every child, should have regular date nights with his wife, should read a book a week, gain skills to better his career, and the list goes on and on and on, and everyone's saying everybody should have this priority in their life. Now, a lot of those priorities are good and right and good to be pursued, but I can't help but wonder, is it possible even to pursue them all? Like, is there enough time in the day to pursue every single one of these priorities? Well, if we aren't intentional and if we don't decide what's important to us, what will happen is we will just go through life and there will be other people who decide what's important for us, and they will set the priorities for us. The children can set priorities for the parents rather than the other way around. Your friends can set your schedule for you. There's a quote that I've seen in a few places. I have no idea who it's original with, but 
the idea is this, that if you don't prioritize your life, somebody else will. Right? If you don't plan your day, someone or something else will plan it for you, and you can just be a slave to the whatever happens in the events of the day. Well, how do we do this, though? How, how do we prioritize our time? How do we make sure that we're giving ourselves to the things that are, that are truly the most important and most needful to be done? In our text today, we're going to see Jesus making key choices so as to prioritize His mission and His purpose. And there's going to be two key priorities on display in this text today. Two key priorities and many lessons that we can learn from them. So what are those priorities? What are the priorities of Christ? Well, in our text, we see the priorities of prayer and the priorities of His purpose. Let's read our text. This is Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark... He departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons." What are the priorities of Christ in this text? The first is that Christ prioritizes prayer. This is the first of three times in the Gospel of Mark that we're going to see something similar said about Christ, how He withdraws from His disciples, withdraws from everyone else and goes to pray. It's here. It happens right about the midpoint of the Gospel, and it's going to happen towards the end as well. And from that pattern from Mark, as, as we kind of see this, it's presented in a way as almost as if this is really Jesus' customary practice. Like, like He does this regularly. And the points where Mark specifically singles that out and and highlights it is when it intersects with something important in the narrative about something that he wants to highlight, when there's something else of significance occurring in conjunction with this customary practice of Christ. And such is the case here. Mark wants to highlight something about why Jesus has come. But we see this priority of Christ, that this is something that He prioritizes in His life. It is that of prayer. And this, this habit of His really has three key elements. One, He rose early in the morning. It says, rising early in the morning while it was still dark. The sun hasn't even come up yet. Yeah, ugh, right. <laughs> it says He was alone. He, he departed. He went to a desolate place. There, there was nobody else around. And third... He spent that time in prayer. There's so much that could be said about this as a discipline, and I'm sure we've all heard something along the effects of, well, you know, if Jesus did this, you know, and He's the Son of God, how much more should we give ourselves to this practice as well? Certainly there's truth to this, like genuinely, there's, there's, there's truth to that. If Jesus, God in human flesh, was dependent upon His walk with His heavenly Father, then by way of argument from the greater to the lesser, we too must recognize our own dependency upon our Father and give ourselves to personal devotion to Him. 
And while this is true, in my experience, these kinds of arguments are like, well, if Jesus did this, well, how much more should we do this? It's true. That, that is, a, is a true observation to make. But oftentimes when it's phrased that way, it has the effect of producing guilt upon an individual that never actually produces the desired results. And so what I'd like to highlight for us today is it's not so much about the not trying to create a guilt trip on us. That, oh, yeah, we should be getting up at, you know, four o'clock in the morning to go pray. No, I want us to see the practical value in doing what Christ did. The practical value of rising early in the morning. Now, I have to confess, I'm not naturally a morning person. My natural proclivity, I would much rather stay up late. I'll be up till midnight, one o'clock in the morning. That's my natural proclivity, and then I'll sleep in in the morning. That's, that's how I would uh, prefer to do things. However, on a practical level, I've also learned that my mind is most focused and most clear and least distracted early in the morning. If I get up before anyone else, before the noise of the day, before the noise of my own mind begins stirring around, it is then I find that my times with the Lord are most impactful upon me. There's practical value to doing what Jesus does here practical value. And so, I do want to commend to you the practice, just as a matter of practical wisdom like this. This can be effective for us in our times with the Lord. Second, He was alone. He spent time with His Father alone. Now, I believe in corporate worship. I believe in family worship of families, doing family devotions together. I advocate for that. But here we find Jesus seeking solitude. And the value of this is that there's not, there are fewer distractions that, that take our minds away from the things of the Lord. There's no one to interrupt what you're doing. There's no one to pull you away from your Lord. Now, it used to be, you know, this is, again, just thinking about some of the practical ramifications of this and how we could pursue this today. It used to be that if you just went off into a room by yourself, that you could kind of be alone. But these days, we, we kind of carry something with us. And these things have have a way of distracting us that is just uncanny, right? Those notifications go off, that the bell dings, that vibrates, and, oh, what, what, what is someone saying to me? What's, what's someone doing here? Like, we get distracted by these things. So, my suggestion, if we are to pursue times with the Lord alone, is perhaps, perhaps turn it off or put it in do not disturb. I know a lot of people like to read the Bible on the phone, and I've done that myself at different points. And that can be fine, but find a way to limit the notifications, right? Because those notifications, what's up? Airplane mode, yes, put it on airplane mode. Do it, put it in something to where you're not going to be bombarded with notifications that will take you away and distract you from what it is that you are there to do. There have been multiple studies that have been done to demonstrate the negative effect of our reliance upon our cell phones, and my purpose isn't to get into all of that, only to seek to highlight the practical value of solitude and how our devices can effectively put us in a noisy room, even if we're the only ones there. Jesus sought out solitude with His Father. And third and finally, He spent that time in prayer. Now, there's an old hymn that speaks of the value of spending intentional time in prayer, and 
You may be familiar with it. It goes like this. Sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer that that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. As I reflect upon the lyrics of that song, that sweet hour of prayer, I can't help but wonder how many people could actually resonate with the words of that song. How many of us spend an hour straight in prayer? Now again, I'm not, the goal isn't to create a a guilt trip with that question, because the Bible never says anywhere, thou shalt spend at least an hour straight in prayer every day. Like, we don't have that command. But I do want to communicate the value and the benefit of spending time in prayer in a focused way like this. One of my early seminary classes was uh, called Ministry Preparation, and it was designed, it was focused more on things like character and discipline more than on things of of studying a particular book or studying uh, a branch of theology or something of that nature. One of the assignments in that class was Spend 60 minutes in, just straight in prayer. Spend 60 minutes in prayer in one sitting. We were given a variety of instructions to help accomplish the task, but that was the assignment. This is what you were to do. And then I had to write a little paragraph describing, oh, well, this is what I learned from this experience, etc. Well, when I got that assignment, of course, it was daunting to me because I don't think I've ever spent an hour straight in prayer prior to that class. It's just not something that I have done. And so that was probably the first time in my life I ever intentionally sat down and prayed for an hour straight. And I was surprised by many things through that experience. I was surprised how quickly the time moved. I was surprised that, you know, I took a list with me so I could like, okay, I've got to better make sure I've got a lot of things to pray for if I'm going to be here for an hour, right? I didn't even make it through the list. Because just as I was spending that time in focused prayer, as I was engaged in that, I just, I just found that my prayers took on these different dimensions that I hadn't anticipated before. And there were, there were points where my mind got distracted and going these different ways, but, but I called myself back and called back to what I was there to do. And it was, it was a tremendous experience. I also found that through the rest of that day, I was, I was a much more focused and disciplined person through the rest of that day. I had disciplined myself for a specific task for an hour, and that bore fruit and discipline in other areas. Now, I'm not promising here that, oh, if you just spend an hour in prayer, you're going to have a more productive life. Like, that's not the point, right? That's not the purpose here, all right? Prayer isn't like just a secret life hack that we've been needing, right? That we need to have some kind of viral article on online, But we do tend to think, do we not, we do tend to be tempted by this thought that, oh, I'm so busy, I can't spend time in prayer today because I need to do other things. And maybe we don't have that thought explicitly, but we often live that way, right? Just, oh, well, I just, I'll do my devotions later on, I just got to get to these other tasks now. Like, these other things are more pressing for this moment. You might be surprised 
about how the Lord will honor your efforts when you devote yourself to Him. It's become somewhat of a legendary quote, but uh, Martin Luther is often quoted as having said something along the lines of, I have so much to do today that I must spend the first three hours in prayer. Now, there's debate about whether or not he actually ever said that. I don't know if he did or not. But according to some sources I read, even if he didn't say it, it's consistent with his views on prayer, and he did at points spend three hours in prayer on a regular basis. Now, the question comes, oh, should, does that mean I should spend three hours in prayer? I'm never going to say no to that question. Like, yeah, no, 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 you don't need to spend three hours in prayer. But rather than making legalistic requirements about how much time we spend in prayer and when you do it, I do want to challenge us to think about this question right here. Does your life reflect that your personal walk with the Lord is a priority? Does your life reflect that your personal walk with the Lord is a priority within your life? There's practical value to doing the things that Jesus does in this text. Getting up early, isolation, spending that time in focused prayer. But ultimately, this principle, these principles, they're more than just about pragmatics, about just what works. This is about our priorities. Does our life reflect that the Lord is a priority within my life? Do we even know what we're missing when we neglect these priorities? Around 100 years ago, there's a man named Peter Dynica. His, his nickname was Peter Dynamite. He was a Russian-American evangelist and missionary to the Slavic-speaking world. He was one of the founders of the Slavic Gospel Association, which is an IFCA mission organization. Their mission is to help train Slavic pastors to reach countries, their, their own countries for Christ. So they do work in Russia and Ukraine and um, a lot of the stand countries, like they just, they're in a lot of these countries reaching Slavic nationals and t- training pastors to reach their nation. Well, Peter Dynica was called Peter Dynamite not because of his evangelistic work, but because of his prayer life. He wrote a book one, uh, titled, Much Prayer, Much Power, and he goes on to explain this principle as he lays it out. The, the more you pray in your life, the more power that you have, and we don't I'm not thinking of that of like, you know, like supernatural like power like we see superheroes have or something like that. But the more power that we have just for our daily lives, for walking in holiness, the saying no to sin and yes to righteousness, much prayer, much power, little prayer, little power, no prayer, no power. James tells us that the, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. James chapter 5. We see in Scripture that God has designed and He has purposed to accomplish His purposes through the prayers of His people. So I can't help but wonder how much power we are missing out on simply because we do not pray. James also says that you have not because you ask not. And then sometimes when we, when we do ask, we ask and we do not get because we ask amiss. 
But there's a priority of prayer that we see in Jesus' life, that we see throughout the Scriptures and the effectiveness that it has to bring about genuine change in our own hearts, in the hearts of others, God accomplishing His purposes through prayer. Now again, my goal isn't necessarily to make you feel guilty today. But I do want to make you feel like that if prayer is not a priority in your life, that you're missing out on something. You're missing out on something revolutionary. And so I have a challenge for you this week. I want to challenge you to do the assignment that was given to me in my seminary class. Do the one-hour challenge for 60 minutes, find somewhere quiet, minimize your distractions, turn your phone off, etc. Take a list of things to pray for with you. Don't get too comfortable because you want to stay awake. And, and don't get discouraged if your mind wanders. Just refocus. Every time you catch yourself, just refocus. Nope, I'm here to pray. Refocus yourself. Begin praying again. And I promise you, over time, the more times you call your mind back, the easier it is to catch yourself and call your mind back again the next time. So just discipline yourself. Focus yourself. Do the one-hour challenge. Try it. Set a timer. Just one hour and see the difference that it can make within your heart and in your life. And if you do that, tell me about your experience with it. All right, that's the assignment. That's an assignment for you this week. I, I want to hear about this. Now, you can expect opposition. You know, this is a spiritual thing. There's spiritual warfare at play. But I challenge you to pursue this priority this coming week. Jesus spent time with His Father. We, too, should seek to spend time with the one who has promised us that our prayers are effective. So as we consider the example of Christ and how He made time with the Lord a priority, let's follow Him by making it a priority within our lives as well. Well, in our text today, Jesus, He, he went and He spent this focused time in prayer, and it, it seems that it was for a purpose. Why did He do this? What did this accomplish for our Lord? Well, in the context here, He is focused on His mission. Why has Jesus Christ come to earth? This priority of prayer served to help Him keep Him focused on His mission. And it is His mission that is the next priority within our text. Christ prioritizes His purpose. Notice that it says here that Simon and those who were with him, they searched for him. They, they, they come to Christ. Technically, they were searching for him. They hunting him down, seeking out wherever he went. That, that, literally, that word for seeking him, for searching him out, has the idea of hunting someone, of looking diligently. My kids like to play hide and seek. Well, you know, everybody's hiding and there's the seeker. And they're diligently seeking out all the places where these different uh, people might be hiding. Well, that's what they were doing. They, they were seeking out Christ. And when they find him, they inform him, hey, everyone is looking for you. And in the Greek text, that word everyone, that's in an emphatic position in the sentence. All the people, everyone, the whole city of Capernaum, they're all looking for you. I want us to consider the implication of Simon's words to Christ. If everyone is looking for you, what is the implication within those words? Well, if someone's looking for you, you should go see what they want, right? 
You should go see what these individuals are looking for. Simon, with this phrase, is placing an obligation upon Christ. These people want you, so you need to come and meet with them. This is the kind of thing that I was mentioning in the introduction to the sermon today, that if you don't plan your day, someone else will come along and plan it for you. Simon was seeking to plan the day for Jesus, or maybe perhaps he was actually just acting at the behest of the people who were seeking to plan the day for Jesus. But Jesus has other plans. And this is going to be a little bit of a minor theme as we continue to work through this gospel. The the disciples routinely, they just don't seem to get it and seem to get Christ's priorities. They understand that what Christ's priorities are and how He, and He has to continually remind them, no, 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 not that, but this. And this will come to a head in chapter 8 when Jesus, He's going to rebuke Peter and He's going to say this, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Jesus has to continually remind His disciples with this. I mean, Jesus has called His disciples to learn from Him and to follow Him, and He eventually is going to send the disciples out, and they're going to minister to the people. But Jesus has called these disciples to be His representatives to the people, but here they seem to be acting more like the people's representatives to Christ. They have it backwards. Just as a side note, I take comfort in knowing that uh, these disciples, for lack of a better term, they can be kind of blockheaded sometimes. Like they just don't seem to get it. They 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 don't understand so much. Well, these are the same disciples that are later in the book of Acts are going to be described as turning the world upside down for Christ. Well, if Jesus can work that in these guys, hey, there's hope for people like me, and I praise God for that. Well, here in this moment, though, the disciples, they're trying to pull Jesus away from His mission. But Jesus does not allow that to happen. He hears that the people are seeking Him, but He doesn't even address that. Instead of saying, all right, well, let's go see what they want, He says, well, all righty then, it's time to leave which is not the expected response, but that is what Jesus does. Why? Why would He say that? If there's, there's people that are seeking Jesus, you know, Jesus had been healing so many people just in the, in the previous paragraph. All these people are being healed by Christ. If, if more people are seeking Jesus, well, maybe that means there are more people that need to be healed. Jesus, don't you want to heal these more people? Don't, don't you want, don't, couldn't you be missing out on some potentially incredible opportunities with the people here in Capernaum? Jesus has a mission, and He is not going to let anyone else set the agenda for Him. He is going to set the agenda. He will move the ball forward. He will determine what He does and when. So look at what He says. He says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I have come out. In the original text, the, that phrase, this is why, that's in the emphatic position in the sentence. This is why. I am going to preach, and I am going to preach because it is for the purpose of preaching that I have come. 
Right? This is the most important aspect of Jesus' ministry by His own words. The most important thing for Jesus and His ministry was not the miracles. The most important thing about Jesus and His ministry was not healing people. It was not casting out demons. The most important thing about Jesus and His ministry is to proclaim the message of repentance and faith that they may enter into the kingdom of God. So this is what He gives Himself to. And this goes back to verses 14 and 15 of the chapter when, when He goes about proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Everything that Jesus did in His ministry was in service to this main central focus. His calling of His disciples was to train them to proclaim this message. The casting out of the demons, the healings, the other miracles that we will see, they all serve to help authenticate this message and that Jesus is the one with authority to proclaim this message. Everything that Jesus says and does relates to this central Last week, we spoke about the compassion of Jesus and the need to be engaged in mercy ministry as followers of Christ. But I also stressed at that time the need to keep things in balance and not get things out of whack. I talked about the errors of the social gospel movement, how we can so easily get distracted by the, by the physical needs of this world. and We can go around and, and do everything that we can to help the physical needs of individuals, which is all good and right, but if we never get to the gospel, if we never get to what Jesus did, if we never get to people's spiritual needs, we're missing the point. If we never get to the central issues about why they are struggling with their physical needs in the first place, we're missing out. And it's always because of sin. And it might be their own sin that they're struggling. It might be because of the sins of others, the things that people have done against them. It might just be the consequences of living in a sin-cursed world. But in each and every case, it all comes back to the issue of sin. And the only solution to any of it is faith in Jesus Christ. But we can get so easily get so distracted from that message. Several years ago, there was a book written that was analyzing how churches, they tend to, tend to suffocate under the weight of their own programs. There's a program for children, a program for teens, a program for college and career, a program for young adults, a program for singles, a program for young married couples, a program for uh, college, uh, what did I say, college and career, uh, men, women, a program for seniors. The list goes on and on. There's all these different programs. And a lot of times, those programs can be helpful, and they can be good, and they can, they can build good things into people's lives. But what about the gospel? What about the gospel? Are we letting all the needs of the people distract us from what is truly important? Now again, I reiterate some of the things I said next week. I'm I advocate for helping meet people's physical needs where and when we can. But if that takes us away from gospel priorities, then our mission and our priorities are misaligned. And we need to call ourselves back to the main thing. What is the central focus?
even as we consider that, we, we note that it's, Jesus identified this as His main priority. Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. This is the main thing. But that doesn't mean He stopped healing people. I mean, look at verse 39. He says that, that He went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is, this is a kind of a summary verse in the midst of Jesus' ministry, summarizing the things that, that He did. There are places throughout uh, the Gospel of Mark that makes it sound as though preaching and casting out demons or preaching and healing, it's almost like shorthand for the totality of everything that Jesus does in His ministry. Miracles, healings, casting out demons, all of it, preaching and teaching all together. So Jesus didn't forsake meeting physical needs of the people that He interacted with. Even though He identified the preaching of the Gospel as His main priority, He did not forsake meeting the physical needs of people altogether but he did keep his priorities straight. He didn't let others set his agenda, but he set it for himself. Because I'm sure he could have spent a lifetime in Capernaum with the people of Capernaum. But then there were many other people in many other towns throughout Galilee that needed to hear the gospel message as well. And so his mission and his priorities led them to move on to the next town as he prioritized his gospel ministry over the desires of the people of Capernaum. Jesus shows us here some practical ways to live on purpose. He makes time with his Father a priority, and he doesn't allow others to distract him from his core mission. And this is what I would like to challenge us with here today. Is your walk with God a priority in your life? One hour challenge. Do it. Let me know how it goes for you. Is the gospel a priority in your life? Though we are sinners, Christ died in our place. He suffered on the cross. He died, was buried, He rose again, that all who have faith in Him and Him alone receive eternal life. That's the message. That's the mission. That's the priority. That is why Christ came. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Jesus Christ and His commitment to the mission. He did not let others, get dis- dis- let others distract Him from why He was there, but focused on His mission and accomplished that through the power of the Spirit working within Him. I thank You for His example of communing with You. Lord, we so often fail and we neglect our times with You. Lord, I do pray that You would Instill within us the, the priority for prayer, the priority for spending our time with you. I pray that you would help us in this regard. I pray that you help us to be disciplined. And I do pray, Lord, that as we go about our lives, that we would have the priority of the gospel within our own lives. Lord, we know what you have done for us. 
Give us the desire to see the same in others' lives as well. I pray for us here at Pillar Fellowship as we have core values that establish us in the gospel, the core value we have. We even have a core value about prayer. We have a core value on evangelistic outreach. I pray, Lord, that we would never be distracted by all the different things, all the different potential things that could go on, Lord, that we would always bring everything into subjection to the gospel of Christ, and that we would make that a main focus and a main priority of the ministry here, so that as we proclaim the good news of Christ, that every individual within our reach might hear, believe, and follow Jesus Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.